Welcome to an Animers Podcast special episode. We're here to talk about the virtual anime convention, Anime Lockdown, that just happened this past weekend as of this recording. My name is, of course, Evan Minto. I'm your host. And uh, with me today, I've got uh, the co-host of our sister podcast, Old Talk We Know Radio, Inc. Welcome. What's up, everybody? And we have a special guest. We've got Daryl Surratt, the co-host and producer of the Anime World Order podcast, multiple-time Gamers podcast guest. Welcome back to the show. Ahem, uh, uh, Evan. I thought you were supposed to uh, give me the full introduction. I'm the cream in your coffee, your favorite anime podcaster's favorite <laughs> anime podcaster, the Trinidadian Cadden, the physical embodiment of charisma, the most entertaining man in anime podcasting, the Bernie Sanders of anime podcasting, because I'm always in second place, Mr. American Rana, Davey Anime, the 104-minute man, the main event, he's really good at Twitter, the King of Taunts, Daryl Surratt from the Anime World Order podcast. And he did do all of that from memory. I'm sure there's nothing read off of a sheet of paper <laughs> off of, uh, you know, David Starr's T-shirt or anything like that. And I'm sorry, we've run out of time for this episode. We'll see you all again. Yeah, that's it. See you guys next episode. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll actually have to split this into three episodes, like an anime, or like, or like an anime World Order episode. And you thought this was going to be done in under an hour. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, so part of the reason I wanted to have Daryl on is because we've had you on for a couple times for our post-Otacon episodes where we like get a bunch of people together in a hotel room to discuss the con. And uh, in this case, we're talking about a virtual convention where there's no hotel room or literally no people in the same space to gather with. And uh, yeah, kind of wanted to get your thoughts kind of to compare with the usual in-person con experience that we talk about. Yeah, I think in this case, we actually have slightly different experiences because for the first time in a long, long time, I attended this convention as just an attendee. Yeah, no, I mean, there, there's no press as a concept at this con, but also you weren't a panelist. Right, the timing of it just didn't work out. I would have submitted panels if not for the fact that it fell exactly on the deadline for my articles. Well, let's kind of get into that because I think the timing of this was definitely interesting. I almost didn't host a panel at at the con because of the scheduling of it. So Ink and I both had panels at Anime Lockdown. Uh, Yeah, so this is a virtual anime convention. Uh, Of course, I mean, some people might be listening to this years later, and so the context might be lost on them. It's because of of the COVID-19 pandemic, of course. Uh, So all anime conventions pretty much this summer, at least all the major ones, or most of them have been canceled. So there is a lot of people discussing ways to bring that experience to people virtually. And this is one of the first ones to actually happen. There might have been, I mean, there's some like really small things people are putting together. There was another one just before called uh, KogaruCon, like the home edition of a local convention out in New Jersey. And I had looked at one or two of the items on that and one of them I I quite was uh, impressed by which was uh, John Turner's Loop on the Third the Castle of Cagliostro 40th anniversary panel and so I said oh wow you're able to do you know what is effectively a standard style anime panel in just the confines of Twitch that's that's impressive Um, now this obviously by the time Kogarakan happened Anime lockdown had already been announced. It basically just started as um, an idle tweet about, hey, what are we going to do? Hey, what if we possibly, you know, put together an online sort of live stream schedule thing? And, hey, would people tune in sort of thing like that? Just, um, you know, right. think who, who was it? Fightbait? Yeah, Fightbait, John Paul. Yeah, and it was, I mean, one of the interesting things about this that is, is maybe something to learn for the future for the organizers or for anyone else organizing something like this is... This thing was put together in a month, which is really not a lot of time for either the con organizers or like, especially I think for panelists, like you were talking about scheduling to like come up with the panels they want to submit, actually make the panels. Like there's a lot of prep work that, you know, typically is not squashed into a month. You usually have multiple months of figuring that out, submitting stuff, actually putting the slides and the videos together. And that's just for the panelists. Usually for the con organizers, this thing is like, it starts from the end of the con to, to the next con. Sure. Well, I think, I mean, we're, we're kind of getting into the weeds a little bit here, but something that's worth pointing out there is, is to some degree, I mean, so obviously there's a lot of work that went into putting this thing together, but like, 
I think that let's see what's the what's the politest way to put this the the difference between the amount of work to put a virtual con together of this size versus to put like a an in-person con together is uh is pretty big but the difference between preparing a virtual panel versus an in-person panel is pretty small yeah it's almost identical because yeah you're not you're not really you, you don't have any like there's no real difference for the physical space. You're just you're just doing it in front of like a, a webcam or, or just in front of a microphone. Mm. Right. Rather than being in front of a stage or something like that. You still do the same thing as a panelist as you otherwise would in person, unless you're doing a panel that requires like a live in-person interaction, which I don't think any of us here do. Uh, well, burger time, you know, has people eating burgers. But yeah, not, not really. You don't need like a volunteer from the crowd or you don't need like uh, audience participation in terms of like actually generating the content, not like a game show, not like, uh, you know, a costume related thing not like a, you know, improv or whatever, you know, the case may be. Nothing seriously dependent on other people. Yeah, exactly. So the other aspect of this uh, outside of, uh, as we mentioned, like a a Twitch, YouTube and Facebook live stream of panels, effectively like a single panel room is how it operated. There was also a discord, which was, I think, one of the more notable aspects of this is had a pretty big discord with people in there uh, discussing like you know, discussing anime, etc. Right, just kind of general discordy stuff. Yeah, mostly a lot of city pop discussion. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> nice. Um, but it also had these kind of simulations of a live convention. So it had like cosplay halls, which are basically just rooms for people to post their cosplays. And notably, it had like vendors and artists where people could log on and basically coordinate with vendors and artists to like buy stuff from them and they could like market their what they've got for sale so kind of an interesting idea i know i didn't spend that much time in the discord i think ink spent a little more time than me i spent a decent amount of time in there i thought that there were a couple things that stood out about me one uh, as a person who doesn't really use a whole lot of discord i noticed they had a whole lot of channels a whole lot of moderation bots Uh, maybe like five actual moderators around at all times. And so as part of that, they had things like setting up, for example, a virtual bar, multiple ones, as a matter of fact. And then it wouldn't be an anime convention if it weren't sharing venue space with something else. And so they fictionalized that anime lockdown was uh, sharing its venue space with a wedding, which has very frequently happened for people who go to anime conventions that are Mm -hmm. smaller, that, there, there's going to be like some reception or something going on there. And invariably there's some sort of crossover between the wedding people and the anime people. And for some people it ruins the wedding and some people they're like, Oh, this is awesome. Sometimes uh, there's things that cross over with say like religious group uh, meetups or uh, sports or something like that. Professional conventions. I remember one time I went to a New York anime festival and they were sharing space with like a dentistry Event exactly. Or I remember like uh, AWA at the past, they would share space with like uh, lumberjacks, like logging industry uh, sort of stuff. And then you can't tell if it's cosplay, right? If they show up in like the plaid shirt with an axe. Like, I think those people would stand out. I mean, these are people who are like the industrial uh, side of it. But yeah, uh, they they sort of as a facetious joke sort of said like, oh, you know, this elevator is broken or, you know, please stop antagonizing the reception, you know, all these kinds of things like that. They were, so they put a lot of work into this discord. Yeah, for sure. In, in such a short amount of time. Yeah. One of the things I loved about it is it kept morphing throughout the weekend. Like they actually added rooms and, uh, cause they had the cosplay hall, which they initially intentioned for, you know, just casual posting of cosplay pics. And, you know, kudos to the people who actually just took, like, selfies in their room of the the cosplay. I love that more than the, oh, here are some pictures I've had taken of me in the past. It was like, no, this is more in the moment. Um, but they also had, you know, they added rooms. They had the, um, I think it was the, the showcase. And I said had, but it, the Discord is actually still going. And it's people are still talking into it now. And that was more for more professional pho- photography. And, uh, yeah, it was just a good, good running narrative. And they kept adjusting things as needed for the crowd. 
And I think the, the abundance of rooms, I kind of a question first, but honestly, like you don't want to keep track of so many conversations. So people would stay in one room for a while and then go to the next room. And it really felt kind of like a college con where you had, you know, several rooms side by side. Yeah. Plus, you know, they also were able to use those rooms to facilitate, say, when they had guest Q&As, they would set up rooms for that so people didn't have to do what you have what inevitably happens at the actual anime convention which is suddenly they're on the spot and they know they want to talk in front of everyone but they don't quite realize what their question is well they can ask these questions sort of ahead of time and then the guests can look at them yeah i was i was gonna say that's actually a pretty useful aspect of this is it removes a lot of that uh awkwardness yeah i have more of a three-part comment than a question you know like that that sort of garbage that permeates actual con q a's it kind of it kind of necessitates something that you know a lot of us i think have have discussed as being like preferable which is the moderator actually moderating the questions before they make it to the uh to the guests right and like you kind of have to do that in this situation because you're not getting all of these people like I mean, I guess you could have them like call into a phone number or something. But like you're not getting all of the fans right there on the stream asking a question to the guest. So you kind of need a moderator to like read a question off of the discord. And that naturally just means you're not going to get that same kind of like weird, awkward in-person question. And they actually did have a telephone number. But also like the, the call in number was pre-recorded. Right. Straight to voicemail, I think, or something like that. Yeah. Which means that you can you can do some vetting there. You're not just like getting it like that's always the thing, right? They get up and they like ask a question in Japanese and there's then the staff has to try to like shut them down or get them to say it in English. And it's all happening live. There's no like pre checking it or being like, Hey, actually can you before you get up to the mic, can you ask just can you actually like do it in English instead? Right? You don't have that kind of situation most of the time. Yeah, so I only I didn't watch a ton of like the guest stuff. Uh, I guess you might have watched some more of that. I did watch the industry panels, so there was which was cool. There were like right stuff in discotheque industry panels. Yeah, I watched both of those. Kind of remarkable for this like small startup little convention that they actually got industry and they got guests. They got uh, two voice actors. Uh, they got uh, Kyle Abair, who's been on this podcast a very long time ago, and Veronica Taylor. Uh, so yeah, two VAs, which normally I wouldn't, and this is nothing to say anything against VAs because you know, they're an important part of the industry and all that. But, uh, I normally don't attend because uh, the, the questions posed towards them aren't all that interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. but given the situation, given what's going on, it was actually more interesting to hear from them, how they're being affected and how the industry is responding and working with them, uh, in this time. So the, it actually made watching those interviews worthwhile. And I was like, oh, cool. I actually got something out of watching VAs this time. Yeah, yeah. I know Kyle talked some about the, like, yeah, the way that he's changing the way he works and the way other voice actors are, are changing the way they work. They're, like, recording from home, things like that. On the subject of changing the way that uh, people work, you, to go back a little bit, you did both say that you almost didn't attend. Uh, you want to go into that? Oh, in terms of, well, I almost didn't do a panel, I think is what I was saying. Okay. I definitely was uh, was planning on attending in some form. But uh, no, the reason for the panel thing was just that they announced it. And I think I never even saw that panel submissions open because it was like such a compressed timeline. So I was like, oh, cool. They're thinking of doing an anime convention at some point. And then, you know, two weeks later or something. Yeah. And then someone said, oh, yeah, they filled up their whole schedule yesterday. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) I didn't even like have time to register that I was supposed to be submitting panels. (laughs) Right. And so this schedule, you know, you got to hand it to them because in order to facilitate the schedule, the the few people who ran the convention effectively had to be at the you know board, so to speak, throughout each panel to make sure that the volumes and, you know, overlays and things like that were coming through. OK. And so the fact that they did Friday from effectively uh, 10 a.m. to, you know, 1:30 a.m. and then repeat Saturday um, and then Sunday, you know, end at, you know, your, your typical 7 PM time frame. you know, that's effectively the life of, you know, what a con staffer kind of ends up going through. Well, it's also pretty remarkable because that's one, that's one person yeah. that was John Paul running the stream the entire time. It's not like they had a team of people who could swap off on who was running it. It was Tony, I think 
monitoring the Discord and uh, taking care of vendor relations. And then uh, JP was just handling all the panels. Right. So that's, that's just one of those things where, you know, you set up a Twitch stream or, you know, whatever it is. I think they're using Restream and then sending that out to, to Twitch and to YouTube and stuff. But in the world of live streaming of, you know, things that are happening, Twitch is the platform of choice for most people. I checked in on, you know, the YouTube one myself because unfortunately the way that the timing worked out, um, Friday, May 1st was International Workers Day and there was a strike for Amazon uh, that was was planned for that day. So, you know, don't support Amazon and all the multiple things they own, which includes Twitch. And so what I did was I was in the YouTube restream channel. I did the same thing on Friday, yeah. And, and then on the, the subsequent days, I would use the IRC chat for Twitch. And I would say there were about five, consistently about five times as many people using the Twitch compared to the YouTube. And that I think is consistent with, you know, all the YouTube live, you know, endeavors, whether it's YouTube gaming or, you know, what have you, that's just how it is. People just associate Twitch as the live platform. Yeah. The YouTube one had a problem on Friday night too, because they, they, they had a panel that was called, let's see, it was called the metal and anime connection. And of course the problem is that if you're talking about metal music and anime, you're going to be showing clips and, and playing music from metal bands, which triggered the uh, triggered like the the copyright algorithm on YouTube, right? And got the stream shut down. And this was actually the number one concern I had for why I wasn't sure how I could do a panel in this virtual environment because my panel style, very similar to yours, Evans, is I show a lot of video clips of things I don't own, and so. In these environments, you know, copyright bots are going to detect, hey, you're showing a, a scene from this that you don't own. And so we're going to give you a strike. Um, it's happened to me before, uh, even for clips as short as seven seconds. And so I was like, OK, I'm a little wary on doing it that way. But the way YouTube handles it is they shut down the channel. Boom. Just like that. Whereas the way Twitch handles it is they would mute, well, let me rephrase that, the way Twitch would handle it had they saved the VODs is that they would mute the audio on the VOD. In this case, they, Twitch just said, nope, we're not saving your VODs at all. And so they knew that this was going to happen. And so in addition to you know, JP manning the stream for three days, there's also a recording of the encodes and then selectively posting excerpts to you know, people's channels as the case may be. Yeah, what actually happened? It wasn't it, the algorithm wasn't tripped by uh, copyrighted content. It was actually uh, uh, an indecency thing. Yeah, Devilman. Oh no way. Yeah, it was a uh, Devilman Crybaby that actually flag put a flag up because uh, according to JP, he never got like, "Hey, you're showing copyrighted content notice." Oh wow, I didn't realize that. Interesting. They they got the the same. Uh, they literally recreated the uh, Daryl at Otakon experience. Sure, shut down over indecency. Even <laughs> though I must say this panel was happening at eleven p.m. Right, right, yeah. And it was part of their. They had like an after dark thing, right? So I th I think it was, that was part of the after dark segment. Yeah. Even going in, they knew. Okay, you can't show you know, nudity or anything like that um, whatsoever. That was part of the guidelines. They knew that going up into it. They also were like, all right, well, basically you can have bad language. Uh, that was more or less the, mm. the guy, like the, what was giving like the guideline for 18 plus. And so Gerald is like, Oh, there's nothing I could possibly do. It's like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure, Gerald, that you've got a whole lot of panels that you could do. But, you know, in his mind is default, like, what panel can I do is hentai and things like that. And so obviously you can't do that period at any time of day on a, a live streaming platform, unless it's like one of those really skeezy ones that's like, you know, basically there to sell porn. But in this case, it's on Twitch. It's on YouTube. It's on sites people have heard of. And so they you know, had these guidelines, but the guideline enforcement is vague and their enforcement is inconsistent. And so they knew that there was a chance this could happen. Luckily, the Twitch stream did stay up throughout. I did not check the Facebook one. I don't even have a Facebook account. Did any of you guys look in to I see? I didn't watch on there. I'm in the same boat as you. Yeah. And, and in reality, with all live gaming and stuff like that, Facebook is way behind even YouTube. So it's like really massive drops. 
So that and that tracked with uh, lockdown as well. I was gonna say uh, because I, I I think I left it kind of open ended there where I was I was talking about the, me missing the deadline for panels. Uh, the reason why I still had a panel is because I was put on the wait list and then got in. Um, when someone else had to cancel. That does bring up an interesting kind of organizational note here, which is something that John Paul has totally acknowledged, you know, in closing ceremonies and stuff. So I think, you know, if they do something like this again, that they, they know, uh, they know this going in, but he thought that no one would submit panels. And so he kind of, you know, was, you know, feeling, feeling nervous about like not having anything. So he was accepting panels like right after they were submitted, which, anyone who's like run a con knows is, is not a great idea because the first panels you get might not be the ones you want, right? You might get the ones that you really want. Like late, you might have people like me procrastinating, submitting them, right? And then you might actually want that panel, but it's submitted like the night before the deadline. So he had a situation where he got like lots of panels in on the last day, which happens a lot with cons, and then was stuck because there were already he had already filled the schedule up on like a rolling basis with people who submitted earlier. So that was this weird thing where it was like before it even hit the deadline, the schedule filled up. Um, but that's like kind of an understandable beginner's mistake. You know, he had he's never run a con before, so this is still pretty impressive <laughs> for someone who's never run a con. It's a valid mistake to make because I know local conventions around here back when those were still a thing, they would often struggle to fill that time, and so it would be a case of if you submitted one, you're in. And it was reasonable to think, yeah, this is probably going to be a similar situation. But yeah, I, I would say in general, um, you know, several hundred people showed up, you know, as far as the viewer counts, when you added up Twitch and YouTube, at least to the point where, you know, were this a real convention, it would be, um, you know, fairly respectable for a first year con. I think the largest I saw, even just for like an individual panel, that might have been one of the largest audiences I've ever given Anime Burger Time in front of. Like, it's like 500 people. Not to mention, it was extremely uh, accessible. So like in, like Mike Tools panels, I've, I've never been able to get into because the lines are always out the door, but there are no, you know, virtual constraints. So, you know, I was actually just able to see one of his panels for once. I wanted to complain about that. Uh, you know, it, it recreated the Anime Con minus one important thing, which is that I was not waiting online for anything. Do better next time, guys. You didn't get into the stream prior to the con then, because everybody it, the stream opened like 45 minutes early, and people were complaining about waiting in line for the con. <laughs> <laughs> but that is another thing. Um, the way that this convention was set up by virtue of the fact that it was done on such short notice by so few people, there was only, it, it was very much like an older style convention, like say an 80s convention or an early 1990s convention, in that there's only one item on the schedule happening at any given time. There aren't multiple rooms of simultaneous things that you have to pick and choose. Oh, do I go to this or do I go to that? It was very much in the sense of, okay, we're doing one panel and then you need a half hour break in between. So JP can, you know, use the bathroom or, you know, get another drink or something like that. I mean, one of the things that's really neat about that is that, you know, I think we, we've talked probably before for many years in these like convention podcasts about how the, convention experience is like just completely disjoint for different groups of people at this point right i think i might have talked about before like uh like a, I, I i felt this most acutely at fanime in the years where i would stay with um with like victoria and uh and some other like folks who were more involved in like the cosplay scene and we would like see each other in the hotel room and just split off and never see each other for the whole day right because we would be doing completely different sets of things at the convention uh, and having like a single panel room, I, I did get the sense that people were sitting around watching things that they would have never gone out of their way to go to at a real convention, right? They would have seen like Mike's panel and been like, I don't know what that is. I I'm going to go hang out, do some cosplay or something. And like, yeah, this gave them an opportunity to be like, well, there's this is what's on the schedule. This is the only thing on the schedule. I'll just like leave it on and see what it is. I'm eternally grateful. That's the only way I got an audience. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's also like the inverse too, right? There's a lot of panels that I would never like go out of my way to go to, but I just like left them on in the background, right? Because they were the only thing on. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll take the opposite approach in that I, I looked at the schedule and I said, oh, if there were things where there was like, oh, I'm not really going to watch this, 
during those times, I was doing other things. I got up and mm-hmm. played other games or checked out other sites or, you know, what have you. And so I, I would, however, leave the Discord on a lot of the times and then just, just check back in because a lot of the times I just would look in the chat and be like, oh, these are a lot of people who I interact with online anyway, just by virtue of, you know, who this was targeted towards and who like, this was word of mouth. This is like two guys on Twitter or one guy on Twitter says, let's do this. And so you, you're following them and you reshare the link. And so there is no big marketing push or what have you. So it logically follows that. Yeah. A lot of the people who you quote run into are people who you're already in your social media circle. Yeah. I mean, I was looking at the chat and it was, it was definitely, at least a third of the names I saw show up were people who I personally knew. <laughs> I, I'm not sure if Ink, do you put this in the notes? Uh, you wanted to talk about the virtual rave, which I did not really pay any attention to. I wouldn't think most people did. It was a pre-recorded DJ. Um, and you know, he, was it pre-recorded? I thought it was live. No, nah, it was pre-recorded. I don't think it was live because he was able to cut in for your panel and then go back to it. Yeah. Mm. And typically a DJ is not that considerate to be like, well, got to end on time for the next thing on the schedule. (laughs) Fair enough. It it was nice enough to have like sort of that live music essence there. But I mean, the fact that it was pre-recorded is one thing. And, uh, you know, it's honestly just the goofiest thing about this con. But, you know, it was it was it was the, the thought that mattered, I guess. I think it was missing the key component of any anime convention rave, which is that uh, there was no Sasuke cosplayer who was pulled out of it on a stretcher. Right. Lots of children uh, taking drugs and overdosing and basically being confined into one space to utilize a lot of kinetic energy so that they don't vandalize the property. (laughs) That's the reason why raves exist to this day in anime conventions and continue to forevermore. And uh, now that you have a virtual convention, if they want to go and vandalize their home, you know, so be it. But, you know, like like some of the late shows are doing now with the the, the at home performances and some of some of my favorite bands are doing them. Uh, one of my favorite bands, Local H, had an album release party from their garage, um, which is appropriate given that they're a garage band. But, um, you know, if maybe they organize something with a live band that usually plays cons or something like that, have them do a three song set and end it and then go to a panel and then repeat somewhere later down the line. That would be cool. But that might also involve money. And let's talk uh, a bit more about the like specifics of the panels. Uh, so again, Inc and I did one panel each. You did, but I hate sports anime, which I don't think I've seen before. Uh, that was very good. I appreciate I, I enjoyed it quite a lot. And I did, of course, uh, Anime Burger Time. I kind of wanted to do one of the more educational panels, but I, I, every time I look at something like this where I have one panel, I'm like, well, people are going to want this one. So I guess it's time to do Anime Burger Time again. <laughs> well, it's also one of those things where it's like you've got it finished and ready to go already. So it's not so much that I got a scramble for a month to put a panel together. It's more like, well, what's already done? My panel I presented at the small college con here in Jersey and the uh, tech people totally disregarded my uh, tech requirements. So I was, it was one of those presentations where, Hey, everybody huddle around this laptop while I, you know, try to do my panel. So I considered this the premier <laughs> showing of this panel. I did like that panel quite a lot. I like the, it's, it was structured around, you know, I, I like X, but I hate sports anime. Right. So kind of like pitching people on sports anime based on other things they enjoy that are not sports anime. Thought it was a very good structure. Yeah, I I, I do you. think that that is sort of the way you have to sell people on it because sports anime historically in the United States has always been a hard sell. In recent years, it's gotten its following, but with a condition that the only ones that really catch on tend to have like the strong Fujoshi hook to it. So if it's a sports title that doesn't have that, then people are like, "Oh, I hate sports anime." It has the classic tension of like nerds versus jocks right like if, if you're a nerd then you don't like sports and so you couldn't s- possibly synthesize your like nerdy interest in anime with an interest in sports precisely and so that's part of why you know when you recommend things like say um i'll use an example ping pong where it's like doesn't really have a huge slash ability factor because of the visual style of it you know, you have to sell it based on the general Taiyo Matsumoto or Masaki Yuasa-esque, you know, approach of it rather than, 
you know, the typical ways that you'd get people into high Q or Kuroko's basketball or something that's a little more popular. So I liked uh, that, that approach to it. Uh, on another technical level, I mean, you were talking about tech needs, Inc. The presentation format that's sort of required for this convention is a little different from what people typically do. And I think uh, both of you guys had different tech approaches. So you can maybe go through those because it kind of affects sort of what people can realistically do. Yeah. So Inc., you had the kind of standard approach. I, I was a bit of a special snowflake. I was a bit of a special snowflake where I was asking JP for like, you know, oh, can I set up my thing a little differently? So what is the standard, I guess, so people understand? So uh, JP had a uh, Dropbox set up for people to send their uh, files to for their uh, for the presentation. So they would literally just send them, uh, send JP their entire presentation. And he would control the whole thing while you go through your own presentation, like on a laptop near a mic and just you know, narrate it, but you would have to call out to him when to switch the slides because you had no control over that. And there was about, I think, a 10 to 15 second delay between the Twitch or the stream and your, uh, your actual presentation. So, uh, it was, it was a little disjointed at first. How did he know, like just for the back end, how did he know what you were saying to hear your instructions? Was there like a, a private discord channel? Yeah. Yeah. You would, you would call, or he called you, and you would be talking, and that he would open up uh, that audio into the main channel. Yeah, he would pipe your audio into the, the stream. Right, so, so you'd say something, and then 10, 15 seconds later, the stream would hear that because of the in- inevitable delay. Right, and I think it sounds like the problem here, which I, I was curious about earlier, but I never really asked you about it. The problem was that you were monitoring where the slides were at by watching the Twitch stream, right, Inc.? No, it, it, he tells you right off the bat, like, just pay attention to your own presentation, because if you're going to, if you're going to be paying attention to the streams, it's going to be off and everybody will know. Well, the, the thing is, that did come up a lot. That was one of like the weird technical glitches of it is a lot of panelists were doing the thing where they were like, in this next slide, you know, and then the slide would change and then it would be 10 seconds later, they would say, oh, and there it is. Oh, right. <laughs> it's like it did change. It, it It's just that you didn't see it until it kind of like looped over to Twitch and back to you. Evan's setup was the one I was looking most forward to seeing because having seen his panels, the way that you run is very similar, if not identical to the way that I do it. It, It's the way I run is specifically because I was doing it a different way. And then I think I talked to you and then you suggested the way that I run it now. (laughs) Right. And so I was like, let me see how much of the workflow process needs to be accounted for when doing the virtual setup. And so the way that you did it was like you said, okay, I'll control the the playlist and when I advance from one clip to the next and whatever. And could you just take my output and then screen share it onto his Twitch setup and, and do it that way? And the challenge there, as we found out, you know, live is you're completely at the mercy of your ping God because your direct connection from you to the streamer and then the streamer, you know, to the Twitch server, there would be times where it would be fine. And then there'd be times where the audio and video would drift. There'd be times where it would lag. And so if you were doing the stream yourself, though, that setup works perfectly. There would be no problem. It, it did take a little bit of like weirdness on my end because I we were using Zoom instead of Discord because I think he found that like the screen sharing worked better with Zoom. And uh I, I couldn't just like check a box and screen share the the video and audio together. I had to do some, you know, audio rerouting on my computer to like merge the signals from my mic and from VLC where I'm playing the videos into like a single audio stream and then pipe that into Zoom. And then, then he would pipe all that in. But he did manage to fix it because he did, I think he added a little bit of delay to it, like a delay to the video or the audio or something to sync them back up. Uh, so by the end of the panel, it seemed like the lag was was kind of fixed, uh, which is very quick thinking on JP's part. Well, I know I know his digital mixer broke right before my panel, so he was doing almost everybody's stuff uh, via the analog dials on the front of his uh, digital box. Uh, and every once in a while, like three quarters of the way through my panel, I started hearing the audio that he was playing, 
And uh, I, I had to work through that, which wasn't, you know, horrible because I was actually not listening to my own audio. I was just looking at everything happening. So it actually was almost in sync at that end, but it was still kind of distracting. But I mean, for all that he was doing, honestly. <laughs> and and just to note, like the reason for being a control freak about uh, anime burger time specifically, and, and this is what I had mentioned to him was like, it's a little easier with like a slideshow or something where you you can you're kind of just putting something up talking about it and then you can like i don't know there's a little more of like an expectation of someone saying next slide right the order is discreet and known in advance and so you can find that you say hey go ahead to this one if you're running short on time but if you're doing a video clip show presentation which is what anime burger time is and you see the need to call an audible and rearrange things as you're going you can't do that if you send everyone uh, if you send your list to somebody else right well it's also the fact that burger time is because it's designed as like a kind of comedy clip show thing where there's kind of i'm doing commentary i'm like transitioning between things the timing is kind of important there's clips that i put together that are specifically designed to be like smash cut into each other or to have like a pause and an introduction or something and it just it breaks up a lot of the timing and i did as you note there uh, changed. I didn't change the order, but I did remove some things silently mid-panel, which I usually do when I'm like running low on time. And yeah, that would have required me like dictating stuff to JP and be like, okay, skip the next clip and then go to the one after that and skip the next two clips. And then it's like, it's like a lot of just like live telling him how to move around the playlist. I wonder if, and this is just me thinking aloud, because when I saw Kogarakon do it, the way that they did it is obviously not the way like, you know, a, a virtual convention would want to do it because they seated, um, they, they went and they actually hosted someone else's stream. That's risky because you completely abdicate control and who knows what they're going to do, right? Also, uh, what they what they found with Anime Lockdown was you can only host a stream so many times per day. So they couldn't do it for like too many different people. Correct. So a possibility, and I'm not sure if this would work, would be if a person already had a streaming, like let's say Twitch, and they live stream themselves. And then the convention channel basically does a capture of their stream, like, you know, in a window and puts that up. And then... The person running it has full control. There shouldn't be a sync issue on paper anyway. I'm thinking this is that, you know, because you're you're just taking the whole thing would be if there's any delay, it delays the whole thing. So that's that's a possibility. I mean, I'm sure these people have thought about stuff, but uh, who knows? They had to put a lot together in a month. Maybe that might work. We'll see over time. But yeah, so those are the two approaches that we saw. And I saw for the most part that the Dropbox approach did throw off a lot of people's timings. I think some people in their presentations, you know, when you time a panel out, you're not taking this into consideration that there may be, you know, a 10 second and change delay per slide. Uh, some presenters, it kind of exposed the fact that, hey, all you're doing is reading what's on the slide before going to the next one. And so that was a little, um, you know, irritating for me, but. Oh yeah, I see what you mean. <laughs> like, like that they were just, if they didn't have the next slide in front of them, they didn't know what to say. Correct. Yeah. Which shouldn't have been an issue because they should have just been running off their, you know, own display in front of them. But uh, I did want to, on a slightly more positive note, call out some panels that uh, that were pretty good at this con. Uh, so Mike Tool, uh, our, our buddy, uh, did Anime Cult Classics, which is a pretty great panel that I've seen live before. Uh, the twist of it being that it's not actually about classic underground like underappreciated anime titles which is what you debate people into going to the panel to seeing and then he springs what the panel's actually about which is japanese animation that is produced by cults yeah very very interesting stuff uh and i'm that's like i'm really happy that people got to see like a mike tool panel right people who wouldn't otherwise go to a con that he's at uh and i mean the same for like all these these like there's there's a couple panelists at this con who are, you know, people I see at, at East Coast cons doing panels, including you, Inc. and Mike. And I'll, t I'll talk about Nate's panel, too. And yeah, like I think about people who I know on like the West Coast who they have never been to Otakon. Right. And like the they're not usually going to be exposed to these things. And I've talked before about how the panels out here are not quite as good 
It's the ones at places like Otakon. <laughs> um, there was also a panel from, I think they're called NOS Anime. I don't know them super well, but I see them around like on Twitter and stuff. Uh, and that was, uh, it, it was about like the history of Mecha, specifically, I think the 60s and 70s, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, and that was very well researched. I think a lot of it was pulled from anime history and, uh, and very well presented. Uh, and, you know, really went into like the, it, the context of like Mecca within Japanese society and uh, the economy and politics and things like that. Yeah. Those guys are actually local to Florida. So I've seen a lot of their stuff and yeah, they're, they're good. Yeah, for sure. And I also really liked, uh, my sometime co-panelist, Nate AM's, uh, uh, animation panel, which is kind of covers some similar material to a panel that we've done together. Uh, but he's definitely super knowledgeable about animation and the, the Sakuga community, as it were. He, he does, he does use the word Sakuga, which I tend to avoid, but he's uh, very, very knowledgeable. What about you, Daryl? Um, I liked, there was a panel called uh, rising stars, anime directors to keep your eyes on. It's a panel that's been done a few times and, you know, each time he usually kind of updates it with, you know, some different ones. And then afterwards, just in case for people who can't go to the panel, it put up, here's the people who they showcased in the panel. And so I thought that one, um, you know, good, good selection of directors. Um, again, it's always sort of been a thing to say like, hey, learn about who's making the show because then when they have a new show coming out, uh, you'll know to check it out. Or if there was a show they did that you like and they did shows previously, you can go check those shows out and you would likely to find something that you'd be interested in. Uh, so I thought that one, as far as the fan panels went, also went uh, quite well. I think I saw, um, I'm just looking at the schedule here. Um, I actually, no, I think I missed Beyond Anime High School Anime for Grown Ups, but I wasn't sure if that was uh, Basil's panel or not. I think that was also... Uh, Bokusachi, same guy who did the one, the one you were just talking about. Okay. Yeah. So again, yeah, that, that one was also good. So it's like, if it's the same guy and you know, great, good, well done. Then there honestly, you know, the ones that, because I'm such a negative Nancy, like the ones that stick out to me are the ones I didn't like. And then I always like specify that even though I personally didn't like it, I did see in the chat people saying this is the best panel I've, I've seen, you know, a weekend. So that's just a side effect of me uh, being old, I guess. <laughs> uh, look, there were some I didn't enjoy either. I think I'm maybe not in the interest of, of doing a ton of hating on people here. Right. It's a first year con. I want to focus on, uh, you know, all that they accomplished, you know, before I start, you know, burying people, especially again, could be a side effect of not, you know, knowing who is going to apply, just, uh, you know, accepting whatever got submitted first. Maybe if you have friends to say, Hey, can you do something? And they're like, Oh, I haven't really watched anime since Robotech and Akira. Ah, just show up and talk, you know, like that's the kind of you know <laughs> stuff that can happen, you know, for the first year, you know, con, but you know, obviously now that they, you know, took all those arrows, you know, again, the pioneers get the arrows and the settlers get the land, you know, we're starting to see now that the proof of concept has effectively happened, you know, the people are starting to say like, oh, well, now Funimation is going to do their virtual con, you know? Yeah, I was going to I was going to say that's uh, maybe we'll let let's get into that shortly. But that's a whole interesting conversation related to this. Uh, did want to talk a little bit about the industry panels. Yeah, there were two and they were both very good. Yeah. 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 I mean, they did a good job bringing, you know, the regular kind of industry panel experience to to the con yeah no t-shirt gun though that's true that's a west (laughs) coast thing i haven't seen the t-shirt gun but yeah it did kind of make me think that this might be something i mean a lot of the aspects of this might be something we'll see going forward even after covid19 and it reminded me of something i'm not sure how many people remember this because i think they only did it once but crunchyroll did do a crunchyroll direct one time, kind of like a Nintendo Direct, where they announced licenses and things. Yeah, I kind of wonder if this is the the future of of this stuff. Um, is is doing these like maybe not a panel in this like you know simulation way, but but a you know a stream, some kind of like live announcement event uh, online. Yeah, I mean the future. Uh, who's to say what's going to happen? Though my prediction is that much like how. One guy, you know, put a bomb in his shoe. And ever since, you know, you got to take your shoes off when you go to the airport. I think there are going to be aspects that, you know, 
just stay with general society, you know, long after, you know, this virus hopefully is, you know, relatively contained and, you know, whether or not on the positive side, some of the things like the practice of doing virtual convention sorts of events where there's, you know, a, a schedule and programming, things like that. There is an upside to it because like you guys said, there are geographic restrictions as far as, hey, people on the West Coast never saw panels like this before. And there's even restrictions if you're at the venue of, oh, well, I wanted to go see that, but the room was full or I wanted to go see that, but it was scheduled opposite something else. Well, now if there's VODs, if there's you know just a channel that you go into, all those logistical barriers are taken away. And so I hope that people say, hey, yeah, you can still have some of this, even when the live in-person conventions are once again on the docket. Yeah, I'd like to have both of them exist. And and also maybe it, it helps encourage some of the live, yeah, like the, the in-person conventions to up their game in terms of streaming, right? So if, if it's more the norm for people to watch a streaming anime convention, because we'll, we're going to have like a year of this probably, or at least like six months, then maybe that's part of the the live convention experience too in the future, right? Is people tuning in from outside to watch live streams of it. I mean, I would love for them to do that because obviously for like, say the video game related things, there's always a concurrent live stream along with the event. And for anime, there is never a concurrent live stream. And a lot of times they'll say, oh, you know, it's a thing with the venue. And I can believe that because getting reliable internet at a lot of these venues is a challenge. And when I go to some of those gaming ones to see how they do it, it's like, well, it's because they got a fleet of like five trucks outside with satellite dishes <laughs> on them uh, because the venue itself is not going to be able to, you know, pump out, you know, whatever bandwidth for the stream. And anime cons generally don't bother with that expense. And for some things, you know, it maybe some of the cons could say, hey, yeah, um, we're going to do this. Imagine if like the San Diego Comic-Con would say like, yeah, you don't need to actually come to this hell event. We're just going to live stream what's in, you know, hall <laughs> D or whatever. And along the same lines, like if you're a person who's extremely who has who has extreme social anxiety or uh, you know can't afford to go to cons like this, that uh, you're disabled and there's no uh, accommodations for that at the venue, uh, this actually lets you go there or get some of the experience that you would not have had otherwise. Absolutely, especially for anime fandom, which does skew much younger than most other geek, you know, endeavors. Yeah, even just thinking about, like, kids who maybe physically would be able to get to the convention, or even financially might be able to, but, like, their parents wouldn't let them do it or something, right? This gives them, like, an outlet for attending a convention in some form. This lets them defy their parents. Thank you, Internet. <laughs> <laughs> Not encouraging anything officially, but, but maybe. <laughs> so, Daryl, you did mention that Funimation jumped on the bandwagon almost literally like the day after. Day after. Literally, anime lockdown ended, and then Funimation coincidentally announced we're doing Funima FunnyCon or whatever. Funimation Con or FunnyCon and Katakana or whatever, where they're basically going to run on the 4th of July weekend, which was when Anime Expo was going to happen. And they're going to say, oh, we're going to do, you know, the, the fully controlled corporate, you know, style thing. There's no you know, fan panels, but there is going to be, you know, see your favorite voice actors and, you know, have, you know, all the, the stuff that would happen at an anime con that the industry people would do. And they're doing that where we've heard like, uh, as since you guys were maybe the only other people who showed up to the Otakon <laughs> press uh, conference Q and a for their cancellation. Yeah, true. You know, they stated that they were exploring potentially doing a, live stream on the original dates that Otakon was going to happen. And so I think people had to look to see anime lockdown happen and succeed before, you know, they powers that be said, yeah, it's viable. Let's do this. Cause no one wanted to be the, the person to take that first step and risk falling on their face. And if, you know, five people can do this. It's also notable that, you know, like you mentioned, Funimation Con is on like July 4th weekend because this isn't that long after AX announced that they were canceling. And it's a kind of seems like a kind of bold move. Like, you know, because like Funimation is, you know, they attend AX. They're like they partner with AX on stuff. 
And it's kind of like, a, oh, yeah, you don't get your weekend. Like, we're taking that weekend now. It's going to be our con, right? Whereas, like, maybe they could have in another, in a parallel universe, they could have politely, you know, maybe talked to AX. And maybe they did. But, like, they could have said, hey, are you doing anything on the weekend? Like, you know, kind of say, like, that is that is your thing that you've been doing for years on Fourth of July weekend. But it's this very bold, like, kind of aggressive move, which I think ties in with the fact that, like, Funimation with all their new kind of Sony backing is getting a lot more aggressive in licensing and in other areas. So, yeah, I mean, you know, again, they want to be the, the only game in town. You're starting to see more things show up Funimation only than compared to Crunchyroll. There are people who heard the, there was a rumor that, you know, perhaps AT&T or HBO was going to sell Crunchyroll to Sony and people were like, Oh great. Now I don't have to get Crunchyroll and Funimation. Now it's like, yeah, but guess what? That means that they're going to shut down the thing that isn't their branding you do. But, you know, point is, is that, yeah, that's the sort of thing that happens when big money is involved. Yeah, it's, it's a lot less kind of, uh, I, I can imagine Sony didn't care about being polite to Anime Expo if they were involved in that conversation at all. Right, maybe, maybe not. We don't know. We're not part of that conversation. Right. But, you know, much like, let's like, say, E3 got canceled. In that case, you know, that was a different scenario because a lot of those big industry people said, we're not bothering with your show anyway. And so we're just going to do our own thing online at some other point. The difference being they did not say we're going to do it opposite E3. They all wanted their own date. So let's say hypothetically, if uh, Sentai Filmworks wanted to do their own online thing, they're now not going to say we're going to do it right at the same time as Funimation's thing. They're, they're going to want a weekend where no one else has got something. And right now, in the stage of the virtual environment, th- those dates are open. In the physical anime convention environment, there are no weekends where something's not going on. There's always a con. Yeah, that was that was a couple of years ago that it like we finally plugged up the last hole or something, right? <laughs> like the last weekend that was unfilled, and it was literally every weekend has an anime con somewhere. But yeah, I mean, as far as attendance goes, uh, the subject of what was the most seen, the discotheque one, was the most popular thing because they announced new licenses as the discotheque panels go. Uh, again, Mike Tool uh, generally runs those panels, and he does them in such a way that he's like, okay, I feel the current or the traditional industry panel approach is kind of dry and boring. I'm going to make it interesting. And I think I saw at least at one point over 800 people were in the Twitch alone. Yeah. I think I saw 900. Yeah, it could be that. And then you add to that the YouTube. I mean, that's a a huge amount of people uh, compared to even if you go to Otakon, you go to the discotheque panel, you know, that room fills up because it's all us podcasters and, you know, people on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, that's that's like an AX panel room. Like that, that number of people watching the panel and, and discotheque is not like, let's be real. We love discotheque, but they are not the kind of anime company I expect to like fill a giant AX panel room, (laughs) which is why I'm glad they were here and did this, did this con because being the only show in town, so to speak, I mean, everybody got to see the wonderful nature that is discotheque. It's also notable that like, because, you know, like you were saying, Daryl, this is, you know, spread through word of mouth. This definitely was somewhat not confined, but it but focused on a circle of people that's kind of closer to our circle, right? A lot of people that we know. Uh, it did feel like a lot of the programming was kind of centered around like there's a lot of mecha content. It felt a little bit more centered around you know older fans or or possibly. And this is a complaint they got like there were there was a lot of like male panelists, right? So kind of a little more like older and male skewed. And so, like, discotheque kind of fit into that in terms of being, like, an old-school licensor, right? They, they do a lot of, like, retro titles. Yeah, and it was interesting that it was, like, them and right stuff and not, you know, Crunchyroll and Funimation and these these things that are a little bit more, a little, like, maybe broader, right? Like, licensing a bunch of, like, shonen titles and things. Sure. I mean, I, I'm sure it's one of those cases where, once again the really big companies are like, we'd prefer to have our own events rather than share space. Or we want to say like, Oh, we'll do it. But we want to say anime lockdown brought to you by Funimation or something like that. And, and so they, they may, they may have either not elected to, to be in. Cause it's like, again, I, I sympathize with the criticism of like the presenters were this because they were probably thinking, well, these are the submissions that we got. This is all we got. Yeah. <laughs> when they said, actually, I did watch closing ceremonies and, and JP did talk about how, they got a lot of, you know, 
a lot of non-male presenters. They got like an LGBT panel, right? But they were all submitted on like the last day when everything was already completely filled up. So it was kind of just a, you know, a mistake earlier on in the organizing. Yeah, sure. I think moving forward, they'll probably now that they know that the demand is there, they can say, all right, we're not going to send out um, exceptions, not exceptions. We're not going to send out approvals. Acceptances, yeah. Yeah, acceptances uh, until after we've received all of the applications. And, and yeah, that's, that's simply it. it should, should there be a need for additional lockdowns, which at the rate that we're going, yeah, we're probably going to need another one sooner <laughs> rather than later. I think maybe that's a, a relatively good place to, to kind of wrap up is I just want to say I would love to have more of these virtual cons even after COVID-19 is over. Uh, but, I mean, also while it's happening, like, I'll take as many of these as as people are willing to organize. <laughs> yeah, man. I got pizza delivered to the panel room. That was amazing. <laughs> I did my laundry in a con room. <laughs> you can't do that anywhere else. Yeah, and I think as a panelist, it's also it's a great audience to have, right? To have this have like 500 plus people or whatever streaming. Uh, and yeah, to be able to talk to this audience that maybe has never been to a con at all before, let alone a con that you've been at. And that's another thing to mention. Like the, there were panelists from Ireland, and I saw I saw another person in the the uh, the chat from like Central Europe. So people from around the world were there, which is kind of cool. Yeah, and there's not the the region lock like there would be for some of these major industry things. I know a lot of like early criticisms when say the Funimation Con got announced. Uh, people from those areas chimed in to say, yeah, thanks. Your announcement video is region locked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's typical, probably because they had uh, content that they only have licensed for North America in the video. I assume. Right. right. And so I was always a fan. I'm always a fan of just the anime convention or the fandom that is bottom up, that is sort of do it yourself. That's always been my position, whether it came to to cosplay back when it was just a thing that people were, were doing just as a thing to mess around, whether it came to parody videos where people were just doing them to make a couple people laugh. I always sort of kind of lose interest when everything becomes very big and glitzy and commercial and overly glossy as cosplay is now an industry as, you know, being a musical performance is now like your, your gig sort of thing as the artist alley is now bigger than the dealer's room in a lot of places, you know, all, and by the way, I'm sure these major events are not going to have the artist alley uh, in this part of their offerings. So yeah, I, I agree with ink. I think that there is definitely a place moving forward for these virtual spaces to continue to exist. They will not replace the physical conventions. There are still certain experiences that you get from being there Particularly, I think that'll be noticed for people who are more into the music performances and the dances and stuff like that. For people who are into like hall cosplay, for people who like the video game tournaments, which can partially be done online, I understand. But those people, there's a lot of people who say, no, I, I want to do it in person because there's this different aspect to it. There's also the as there's also an aspect that has nothing to do with the programming of the con that is, you know, for I think for a lot of us, it's a uh, it's like a a reunion, right? Like a lot of these cons are an opportunity to just see friends and you know, go out to dinner with people, go to a party or whatever, even if it's not like at the con. And that's something that you don't really get in this case, you know, I I hopped in some like Discord audio channels to talk to to friends who I see at cons, but it's not really the same thing as like, oh, wow, I haven't seen you for a year. Let's hang out. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, I'd like to see both. That's that's uh, kind of my takeaway is is I'd like to have these as both as, as two different options for experiencing an anime con in the future. And I totally agree with what you were saying, Daryl, about the, the bottom up thing. That was kind of what what bugged me about the previous years at uh, at Crunchyroll Expo. It's like it's it's a very polished convention in a lot of ways. You know, there's not a lot to complain about in terms of how it's run, but it it's it's top down. You know, like it's very good for for what it is, which is a top down convention. But it doesn't have that like organic feeling of like the fans are sort of generating what it is in real time. It's all planned. Everybody figured out what it is before the convention happened. 
Right. Whereas this was certainly uh, in many ways feeling like a throwback style to, you know, just a bunch of guys got together at a common interest and, you know, they said, hey, let's go and do this. Is it going to work? Uh, hopefully let's find out. All right. I think that's a good place to end it here. Uh, thank you guys for uh, for joining me to chat about this. Looking forward to having more virtual cons to discuss in the future. Yeah. So that is it for us. Uh, obviously, you're already listening to the Annie Gamers podcast, so I'm not going to promote uh, listening to Annie Gamers, but uh, but I will throw to you two to tell people about your shows. Ink people already know, I guess, but I still want to give you an opportunity to <laughs> promote Old Taku for anybody who's not listening yet. If you want to cross to the other side of the tracks uh, on Annie Gamers, you can go check out Old Taku No Radio. We do a uh, show a month, deep dives and dad jokes uh, are prevalent. And we also have a mini-series going for our Patreon uh, supporters uh, called Old Taku in Space, where we're pulling apart Space Brothers volume by volume, uh, the anime from Sentai. And I am over at the Anime World Order podcast over at www.animeworldorder.com, where we generally try and get out an episode each month, as the case may be. We are still <laughs> going through, a, by the time you're listening to this, yes, we are still going through the 2010s Decade in Review, but I promise you that we are getting near the the end of it uh so each month or so we usually talk about a show or you know whatever is the case may be uh we certainly have been at this for a long time and i think most of the anime podcasts out there have heard of our show decided they could do something better or at least be more timely and we're glad that they've done so because it takes the the weight off of our shoulders but we're still around, dang it. And we're still doing pretty good. And as I check right now, we're getting dangerously close to that Gundam narrative review Patreon goal. So uh, you can either you can either assist us with that or do your part to you know save us from that. You know, you can be God or devil. All right. So uh, as for any gamers proper, we have a Patreon, as Inc. mentioned. Support us on patreon.com slash gamers to get into the priority question list and access bonus articles and podcasts, including Old Talk in Space, as Inc. discussed there, uh, as well as our, our podcast that I'm trying to promote more of, which is David's uh, David's light novel show, The Annie Gamers Book Club. You can check out show notes, blog posts, and a link to the official Annie Gamers Discord on AnnieGamers.com. Uh, reminder, the Discord is not for patrons only. Anybody can join, so please go ahead and join and, and hang out. Email us questions, responses, and topic suggestions, or guest suggestions, as it were, if you want to hear more from folks like Daryl, at podcast at AnnieGamers.com, or talk to us on Twitter. I'm at sign VAMPTVO, V-A-M-P-T-V-O. Uh, AnnieGamers is at sign AnnieGamers, one word. Uh, you two, your Twitters. Animated Inc. And it's just my name, D-A-R-Y-L-S-U-R-A-T. Or if you really just want updates on when the next episodes come out, that means you can follow at Anime World Order. And finally, episodes of Anime Gamers are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Music, and Spotify. And we could always use a few more reviews on iTunes to help people find the show. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Inc. and Daryl for uh, chatting with me here. We'll see you all again in uh, less than a week, probably. This is not a, not one of our regularly scheduled episodes, so we'll be back for our regular Annie Gamers pretty soon. Stay safe, everybody. Bye.